a quote from C.S. Lewis this past week that I felt like uh, hit home a large part of what I'm trying to help us to grasp by this idea that we have the opportunity to live large now, to live everyday eternal life now, to break us out of this perspective of that the good life is when we get to heaven. The good life is when we enter into eternity. And the quote that I heard by C.S. Lewis made this statement. It says, you do not have a soul. You are a soul. You do not have a soul. You are a soul. And, and when you enter into eternity, you're just entering into your soul's residence. It's it's permanent residence. I I was trying to to think about uh, this analogy kind of hit me this weekend and I and I had hammered it out a little bit this morning and I'm and I'm nervous about it because sometimes when things hit you in this stroke of genius it's like not comprehensible by other people but but let me just kind of open this cubby hole up for you a little bit more to place this truth within. Think of it this way. We live like fish in a saltwater aquarium. Okay? And to not know Christ as our Savior is like living as a freshwater fish in that saltwater aquarium. It's, it doesn't work. Now, everything around us has been set up to make us think, no, this is the way it is. This is how it is. This is how it's always been. This is how it will always be. Even the idea of evolution is created for us to think of our world as, nope, this is all there is. Just stop thinking beyond what you see. And so the fallacy, first fallacy of that is the idea that we're meant to live in this way of freshwater fish in this saltwater aquarium. Let's just make the best of it. Let's just live for the pleasure that we can. As, as uh, Paul says, as, as some have been known to say, let's just eat, drink, be merry because tomorrow we die. To come to Christ as our Savior is to find the meaning, find the residence in that salt water that we were meant to have. But there's another field of fallacy that we live within in this aquarium. And that is this thinking that we live within this aquarium, but outside of this aquarium, it's completely different. Okay, like an, it's an aquarium sitting in a living room. When the reality is that it's an aquarium sitting in the middle of the ocean. Okay, and what I, what I mean by that is that this other level of fallacy is for us to think is that we live here now, but when we leave this body and enter into eternity, we enter into something completely different. 
okay? And so we're sold this idea by the picture of, well, we're living life now, but when we get to eternity, we're sitting on clouds, strumming harps, you know? But the reality is, is that the relationship, the, the reality that we live in here is just a piece of eternity that we will live within with God and that death is just passing from one aspect of that into another. Sadly, for those who don't know Christ as their Savior, the discomfort, the pain, the, the sense of meaninglessness that they live in now like a freshwater fish living in a saltwater aquarium, when they pass into eternity, they carry on that separation from meaning, that separation from their character, that death of purpose, that death of pleasure, that death, death of comfort, that death of God's presence. They carry that into in eternity because we are forever souls. We are souls that live forever where you don't just have souls. We are souls. And when we know Christ as our Savior, we are living out eternal life now. And we're called to live large in this world. We are called to have that relationship with God totally defined. It doesn't change this world for us. It makes this world into what it really is from our perspective and for our experience. This is living large now. We tend to think that after this life is over, we will then live everyday eternal life. That that's when it begins. That that's when my life with God will finally take off. But we're live, meant to live in relationship with God now, to have that peace of eternity now and living for his glory throughout eternally, but beginning now as a forever soul in an eternal relationship with God. This is living large now. And Romans 6 begins by setting the ground rules for enjoying our eternal relationship with God now. Get this. This is not saying, I know this stuff looks really good. I know this stuff is really enjoyable. I know that sin is really awesome. But just stay away from it. No, it's saying, how long are you going to put off living eternal life now? How long are you going to put off enjoying the relationship with God you were meant to have now? And so we looked at these ground rules in the beginning of chapter 6 in verses 1 through 4. Where he asks, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So let's just review the ground rules that we have, the ground rules for living large now. 
Rule number one was, is God's grace should not lead us to greater sin. That contradicts the idea of enjoying our relationship with Him. That short circuits enjoying our relationship with Him now. Ground rule number two was that knowledge of God's grace should set us free. And ground rule number three was that God's grace should lead us to live large, everyday eternal life now. So you have to wonder what goes through, let me ask you, you have to wonder what goes through a convict's mind when they're released from prison. Sadly, the statistics are dismal that many return to a life that lands them back there where they were. As one released prisoner once said, it's time to get busy living or get busy dying. And for us who know Christ as our Savior, we've been set free by the death and the resurrection of Christ. It's like we've been released from prison bondage. But the question we ask today is, for the next time here in Romans 6, what practices help us to be living, be busy living rather than dying? Because our dying has already been done. What practices help us to be busy living rather than dying because our dying has already been done? The three practices we're looking at over these weeks are these. From verses 5 through 11, the practice of saturating your mind with who you are in Christ. The second practice is to surrender your deeds to who you are in Christ. And we'll see that in verses 12 through 14. And in the rest of chapter 6, verses 15 through 23, we'll see the practice that we need to serve the Lord from who we are in Christ. So let's look at our verses for this morning. He says, for if, you have, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ... We believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Thought, my mind flooded with analogies this week. Um, uh, I, I remember a, a commercial I saw of, of um, it was a, a NASCAR mechanic arguing, uh, com- conversing back and forth with Mario Andretti, uh, an IndyCar driver 
Um, and being the Indianapolis 500 this week, I, it came to my mind and stuff. And, and they were arguing over which was more important, the engine and the, and the engineering that goes into it or the driver, right? The mechanic's thinking, it's the, he actually says first, it's the engine that crosses the, dry, the finish line first. To which you would understand what Mario Andretti responds with, not in Indy cars. And in other words, what he's saying, he's arguing for the fact that it's the mind, the thoughts, and the strategy of the driver that's more important than the engine. In the same way this morning, I want you to see that we learn from Romans 6 here that the mind, the thoughts, the strategy of the believer are the beginning of the right that we have to live large in Christ. The mind, the thoughts, the strategy is where God goes to help you to understand, to set you free from the idea that we just have to plug along in sin now rather than taking advantage of the freedom that we have in Christ. And so we're called to this first practice to saturate your mind with who you are in Christ. And he says this in summary of the verses that we've read leading up to it. In summary statement, and so we're going to see this summary statement, and he's saying, now look back at what I just said, and you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You must saturate yourself your mind with these ideas that I've just told you about, summarizing the fact that you are dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is actually the second time I've preached through these verses since I've been here at Harvest. You can look back on the website and find the previous time. We looked back and we saw from these verses before that the, the sin nature has been dethroned. And a new nature has been imparted to us. Today we're, as he says, consider yourselves. You might remember from the last time that we visited this. That this term consider, it means to count on it. To count on it to be so. It's a truth, but what you need to do is realize it's true. Count on it to be the case. As John Stott says, we are to recall, to ponder, to grasp, to register these truths until they are so integral to our mindset that a return to the old life is unthinkable. Regenerate Christians should no more contemplate a return to unregenerate living than adults to their childhood, married people to their singleness, or discharged prisoners to their prison cell. For our union with Jesus Christ has severed us from the old life and committed us to the new. Now I hope in 30 minutes here to be able to say that, basically. You might recall how we looked at this before, that that this is an accounting term. This consider it so, reckon it so, count on it, that that it's like a million dollars 
necessary, the million dollars necessary, the million dollars of righteousness necessary to maintain, to have and maintain and to to live on in a relationship with God has been put into your account. And he's saying now write a check on it. Live out from your mind outward this truth. And what we're really doing here in these verses are stepping up to magnify the details of this truth. And we've <clears throat> said before, there's two ways you can magnify something. You can take something small and put it under a microscope and make it really big. Or you can step up to a tele- telescope and take something as huge as the planet we live on but it's far away, it's distant, it's hard to comprehend where it is. And you can step up to a telescope and you can draw it near, you can magnify it. You can, you can draw it closer and closer. You can, you can see <clears throat> that it's full of different types of terrain, but then you can draw it even closer and you can see the valleys and the ridges and the craters. You know, astronomers... Don't step up to a a telescope and lock it in on something like Jupiter or Mars. They don't step up and and bring it into focus and then say, oh good, it's there. I was wondering. And walk away from it. They study it in detail. They, you know, there are some who know every ridge of Mars that we can see. Every valley Every, every crack in its surface. They study it. They draw it near and they study it in detail. And that's what we're called to do with the truth of Scripture. And that's what verses 5 through 10 allow us to do with, the, with what it means to be united to Christ in His death and His resurrection. And that's what we're doing over these weeks. We're peering into Romans chapter 6, to understand what do we really have here? But it's not meant to be looked at and walked away from. It's meant to be understood in the way that what what difference does it make for me? And that difference is what we're called to. Consider yourselves dead to sin but alive to God. Take it to the bank. Write a check on it. This is not dresser drawer theology. You know where you come to church, you get it out, and you're like, oh, that's really nice. Okay, put it back in there, cover it up, make sure it's nice and safe, close the door, drawer, and live the rest of your life for the rest of the week. These truths are never meant to be just impacting us around Easter time. We're called to consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And by looking at the impact of the work of Christ on the believer, we're not looking at the details of something small. We're examining the details of the enormous, powerful work of Christ. And I'm not just saying that to make it bigger. This is what makes life make sense. It's what makes life from going from a freshwater fish living in salt water to saying, wow, this is the way I was meant to live. Into realizing that eternity is now. 
And this is not all there is. Hopefully you will have your mind saturated by these truths. Hopefully you will sense the benefits of having your mind saturated by these truths. Hopefully you will resolve to saturate your own mind with the truths of what we have attained in Christ. So let's focus the telescope here on the awesome details of what we are called to consider here. First in the fact is we're called to count on the fact that everyday eternal life is found in our being united with Christ. He says, if we have been united with him in the likeness of the, his death, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now recall the verse before this. It says, we have been raised with Christ, not so that we can be raised one day and live with him finally in eternity, we have been raised with Christ in order that we might live a new life. And so he says, if we've been united with him in the likeness of his death, we certainly shall be united with him in a resurrection like his. Meaning, we are guaranteed that new life now. So get to saturating your mind with that fact, to considering it true. This if that he says is an if of fulfilled condition. And so what that means is it could might as well be read in view of the fact that we have been united with Christ or since we have been united with Christ. And he's referring to those of us who have recognized the fact that we are separated from God. We are separated from Christ because of our sins. But by Christ's death and his resurrection on our part, we can step away from our separation from him and step into what he has done for us in his death and his resurrection and receive a relationship with God based on those truths. And that unites us with him in his death and in his resurrection. When he talks about being united, he's speaking of a tense that talks about a past completed act with abiding results that just go on and continue. A continual, a continual unitedness with Christ. So if you know Christ as your Savior, you have died with him in a death like his, paying the penalty for your sin. And just as you have died with him, you live with him now. This is a mystery that takes a lifetime to understand. This being united with Christ. But it's another way of saying you are in Christ right now. Ephesians 2, 5 and 6 says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is the life that we're living now that we're called to live. Colossians 2, 12 through 13 says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful work of God who raised him from the dead. And you, 
And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision in your fle- of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. All of life starts making sense like the fish that finally has the lungs that fit the sea that he's in. For instance, the father-child relationship is what it is because God's children are his sons and daughters. Adoption is what it is because God adopts his children again, okay? We don't understand God as adopting us because of adoption. Adoption is because God adopts us. We don't understand what it means to be a father or what it means to have a father really without understanding that God is a father to his children. The earthly form flows out of the eternal. This idea of being united with Christ, we don't understand marriage without understanding what it means to be his church. As Ephesians 5 tells us, that marriage is a picture. It's a time-based picture that will end that only is there because Christ is united with his church. Even fidelity in a marriage relationship and the, the devastation of sexual immorality is so, we're told in 1 Corinthians 6, because it destroys the picture. As we're told in 1 Corinthians 6, it says, don't you know that when you are united with Christ, you are one body with him? And then it refers to the picture. As it is said, the two shall become one flesh. Then he asks the question, should you unite the the body of Christ to a prostitute? Never. You see, the only way we truly understand marriage, the only way we truly understand family, the only way we truly understand fidelity is by understanding our relationship with God. Now, what is our enemy target? To destroy our culture, to destroy the testimony of what God and the gospel is. He targets fidelity. He targets marriage. He targets gender. He targets morality. We're living out a picture that we don't fully understand until we have a relationship with God as his child, as his adopted child, as his bride. Donald Barnhouse, an amazing Bible teacher of times ago, he shared a story of a U.S. soldier who was captured during a battle in the 19th century in a Latin American war. It says, the young man did nothing wrong, but he was sentenced to death by an opposing country. He was blindfolded in front of a firing squad. He heard the words, ready, aim. 
Suddenly, an American diplomat burst into the room and said, Stop! And he rushed toward the blindfolded soldier, and he draped him in an American flag. And he said, You don't know who you are about to kill. So I think the, the, the firing squad kind of stopped and said, Oh, is this someone important? He said, This is an American soldier. If you wrongfully take his life, you will incur the wrath of the United States of America. In the same way, when we have a relationship with God through Christ, we are draped in Christ. We are more so, more so than that, we are united with Christ in both the likeness of his death and of his resurrection. We become something completely new, but life becomes, is intended to become something completely new. A newness of life that we talked about last week. A daily newness of life. And we must count on this. Or you will lose what it means to live large during this momentary life on earth. And you're dealing with insecurity. You're dealing with addictions. You're dealing with besetting sins. You're dealing with strained family relationships. You're dealing with selfish tendencies. You're dealing with discouraging situations. All of these hinge how you deal with them, how they impact you, hinge on whether or not you are counting on the fact that we have died with Christ and we live with Him now. With that established, the following verses expand on these two sides of dying with Christ and living with Christ. We must count on the fact, you must count on the fact that your original life is already dead in Christ. If you know Christ as your Savior, your original life is already dead in Christ. It says, we know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. When he says, now, now we know this. Remember, we're talking about saturating our minds, considering this, but he's referring here to our experience, though. This is the no for, that suggests experiential or, or um, reflective knowledge, not mental knowledge. It's our experience that we have died with Christ. And when he refers to the old self, it literally means your old man. We know that our old man was crucified with him. This, this can be the unregenerate self, many of you, prior to salvation, or this is why I like to refer to it, your original life. Okay, because many of you came to know Christ as your Savior as a young child. And you're like, well, I really wasn't like this horrible, you know, uh, sibling smacking, you know, uh, I don't know, <laughs> child, you know, that I was saved from. Your original life is the person you would have been. It's the person maybe you see your classmates living out as who don't know Christ as their Savior. You have died to that. 
As Galatians 2.20 tells us, I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. That original person no longer lives. And the purpose we're told here is that it's in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. In other words, the flesh and the sinful nature might be unable to overpower you in themselves. Now, unless you're not believing this, but in considering this to be true, your, your body, your flesh, your sin nature does not have to overpower you. And the explanation we're given in verse 7 is, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, this term set free is the same term related to the term that we've looked at for the first five chapters. Don't worry, I won't go back there. Justified. You've been declared righteous. The person who has died has been declared righteous. In other words, the person who has been united with Christ has been declared righteous. That's the explanation. That that has happened. It's taken place. You don't have to live like that anymore because the penalty has been paid for wrongdoing. Remember, the wages of sin is death. In Christ, you died the death that you deserve. In Christ. And you are eligible for the free gift of eternal life. Living large now, everyday eternal life. Again, referring to John Stott, he says, so the old life of sin is finished because we died to it. And the new life of justified sinners has begun. Our death and resurrection with Christ render it inconceivable that we should go back. It is in this sense that our sinful self has been deprived of power and we have been set free. Imagine, if you will, if the whole world were a prison, okay? We know that sin brought death, brought death in every way to everything that was good. And, and we know that, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know that the wages of sin is death. And, and in, in this analogy, if you will, the whole world is a prison. A prison to sin, to the sin nature, to the flesh. But there's tales of a man who willingly entered the prison without deserving to be there. He conquered the shackles of his prison cell, never allowing them to enslave him. He died the death of a criminal, taking the execution for that everyone deserved. And he was able to do so, take everyone's execution because of his all-powerful, eternal, all-good nature. And upon believing the truth of his paying the penalty for sin, the cell door is still closed, but it's unlocked. There's freedom available, but it must be believed. The guards are still shouting orders, stay in your cell. You'll eat your only slop we give you when we say you can. But the guards have no power to enforce their orders. 
their jurisdiction has been removed. That's where we're at. Upon believing on that payment for our sins, the sin nature, the body of sin has been brought to nothing. It's been made powerless. And all we have to do is lean on the door and see that we're free to walk. So which will we believe? We have to decide who we will listen to. Truth or lies. And take this to the bank here. When you're facing temptation this week, look at it and say, look at yourself and say, I'm dead to this. I'm dead to this. I don't have to do this. This is a prison cell I don't have to stay in. If you know Christ as your Savior, that's the truth. Watched recently, uh, again, the second Captain America movie. And at the end, the, during the movie, Nick Fury, the character, is, is uh, presumably killed. And so they, they have a grave for him and a headstone and all these things. And, but, it, but of course he wasn't. None of the main stars die in Avenger movies. And, and so uh, as he and his partners are talking, oh, standing over his grave at the end of the movie. And, and he says to them before he leaves, he says, um, if anyone comes looking for me, you can direct them right here. He didn't intend that he's going to stay there at his grave, right? And meet and greet, you know? Well, it has my name on it. This is where I should stay. I'm dead. You know, everybody thinks I am. So they're, if they're going to come looking for me, they can find me right here. Well, of course, what he was saying was, it's best for him to stay dead, you know, and then people will stop trying to kill him. But he intended to go on with his life in the freedom that came from his being dead. He didn't have any intention of just sitting right there where he was. We aren't just dead, we're told here. We aren't just dead with Christ. We're alive and called to live out of our being alive in Christ. We're called to count on the fact, you are called to count on the fact that your new life has already begun in Christ. He says, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Notice how the truth of verse 8, we will live every day with Christ, is based on what we know in verse 9. We, Christ died but is forever alive. It's his work that we're leaning on. His work that we're living out of. This knowledge isn't here experiential, but it's intuitive, different than before, just to tell you that. It's book learning, if you will. And what we know from this are these truths. First, Jesus conquered death, never to die again. Second, many will live again through CPR, right? But they will die again. 
Jesus' living again is free from the impact of sin. He died to sin once for all, no more death. And that's the type of life that we are promised. The follower of Christ is in Christ and thus has risen from the dead with him now. I'm trying to get you out of this idea that life with Christ as it was meant to be will finally begin when I'm free from this world. He's saying here that you are able to live in newness of life now based on the fact that you believe in the one who died and rose again and you are united with him now in his death and in his resurrection. Jesus' living again is free from the impact of sin. The follower of Christ is in Christ and thus has risen from the dead. He died to sin once for all in Christ. We have died to the penalty and the power of sin once for all. He will never die again in Christ. We need not fear death again, physical or spiritual. And Christ lives again for the glory of God. And in Christ, we have a new purpose to our lives of living for God's glory. As Kenneth Wiest puts it, how long does the believer derive his spiritual life from the Lord Jesus? As long as Jesus lives. Paul says he died once for all, and that death over him will never again exercise lordship. Thus, the believer will be sustained in spiritual life for time and eternity since Christ is his life. So as much as the fact that you make Christ your life now, you will live large now. Back to the analogy of, of the prison. This good, powerful, eternal prisoner who took everyone's penalty laid in the prison graveyard for three days. But the power of his payment and his person were shown in his rising from the dead. He walked the halls for 40 days, showing the evidence of his victory. And he urged for others to believe that he conquered sin and death. If in faith we'll walk out of the, prison, the cells of our prison, the cell of sin, we'll be able to experience the freedom that we were meant to live now. And it's only the beginning of the life that Jesus purchased by his resurrection for us to live now. As the hymn puts it concerning the blood of Christ, be of sin a double, pure, double cure Save from wrath and make me pure. That's what the death and resurrection of Christ is meant to do. And we've got to get our minds around it and we've got to live from that truth. It's ours. And I just want to tell you, if there'll be a shepherd at each one of these corners this morning. If you're like, I see this, I see it, I see it. I don't know how to work it out in this specific area or in general. Please come and talk to one of these men.
They would love to pray for you. They would love to pray with you. They would love to help you. Let's close in prayer.